it's, it's funny when Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Because there's a lot of things I think that we feel like we could be troubled about. This morning, I feel like the, the message God wants to say is, don't be troubled. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. So let's pray. God, I thank you that you, um, you don't leave us as orphans. You don't leave us alone. But you have sent the Holy Spirit. And you have sent the Holy Spirit this morning to speak to our hearts, to walk with us during our week, and to show us what you're calling us to do. So I pray tonight, God, you would set all of our hearts on fire for what's on your heart. I pray that you would align our wills today, God, to be aligned with what's on your heart today. God, I, I pray uh, right now over this preacher, God, I, we don't need to hear another sermon from Jeremy. We need to hear from the living God. So we just simply say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Can we just say that together? Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. God, we need to hear from you. We need a word from heaven today, from your heart. So we extend our faith and our hearts, and we just say, God, let everything that Jeremy says be forgotten, and let what God says be remembered. And everyone said, amen. amen. Let not your hearts be troubled. You know, there's a lot of reasons for us to have troubled hearts. Delta variant, taxes, struggles in family, life, homeless population on the increase, China, Iraq, North Korea, bombs, I mean, whatever. You can, you, can, you can name your pick of things to be troubled about. And Jesus looked at his disciples that night and he said, don't let your hearts be troubled, which is interesting because that means it's a choice. I have a choice to allow my heart to be troubled or not allow it to be troubled. He says this later in verse 15. He says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Now, he's saying this because he's going away. You imagine you followed Jesus for three and a half years, and he says, don't, by the way, I'm going away. Don't worry about it. That's a problem. The guy I've been following, the guy I've been learning from, he's telling me he's leaving and I'm not going to get to follow him. And he's like, it's going to be fine. Uh, I, don't, I don't know about that. I think there's a lot of times and we have an opportunity where we're like, we're freaking out about something and God is basically looking at us and saying, it's going to be fine. Don't let your heart be troubled. Trust me. Follow me. If you live in the freakout zone, you're going to make some decisions that aren't going to be very helpful for you. Stay right where you are. Trust me. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Jesus is going away. He's going to send a helper to be with you forever. And that helper... Even the spirit of truth, whom the world can't receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he will dwell with you and he'll be in you. Here's the reality. It is impossible to receive the Holy Spirit unless you, are you have made Jesus the leader of your life. Why is that? Because the Holy Spirit is sent by Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. And so without 
a, a life saying, I'm going to make Jesus the leader of my life, I can't have the Holy Spirit leading in my life. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Love is our staying power in our walk with God. If you've got a Bible, go to 1 John 4, 7 through 12. This is really key because that word love is plastered everywhere. You guys ever seen those signs? Love is love. There's a sign that says that all over the place. Love is love is love is love is love. That was actually came, there was um, a shooting in, I think in Orlando. It was a, a, night, a nightclub. And the next day there was a, a Grammy Awards or a Tony Awards or something. And a poet guy got up and he had this poem that he wrote. And he went all off about the tragedy of these people dying and all this stuff. And then he said this, love is love is love is love is love is love. And that slogan has been plastered everywhere. The problem with that statement, it's saying love is love is like saying blue is blue is blue is blue is blue. Horses are horses are horses are horses are horses. You still haven't said what love is. 1 John 4, 7 through 12 says what love is. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Next slide. And any, is that the next slide? Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest or appeared to us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation or another way of saying is an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Here's what 1 John is saying. Jesus embodies love. If you don't know what love is, if you don't know the example of what it should look like, look to the life of Jesus. Sometimes love is, love is quiet, sometimes la love is loud. But I can tell you this, love is sacrificial. Jesus came on behalf of what? His love for his father. And he said, man, I love my father, so therefore I'm going to earth. Jesus didn't come to earth just because he had a really good idea. Jesus came to earth because his father had a desire in his heart that the world would be saved. So he said, Dad, I'm going. So he came to earth. He laid aside all of his glory, all of his power, all of his prestige. Everything that he had in heaven, he laid it all aside. He took on a place of humility because of love. And then it says this. It talks about this whole embodiment of love. He also came for those that didn't love him. Love is not transactional. Love is not about what I receive. Love loves because it is there. It flows out. 
Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, washed Judas's feet because he embodied love. It didn't matter that Judas was going to betray him. Love just loves because it's who he is. It's who God is. He just gives. The very end of all this, Jesus, after this whole story, he goes end up, he ends up going to a garden, Garden of Gethsemane. You might have heard the story. And Jesus is kneeling and praying, and he said, sweats, drops of blood were forming at the top of his head. The stress of what was about to happen, the weight of sin of the world was falling upon Jesus, and he said, Father, I don't want to do this. I, but not my will, yours be done. That vein of love is what sustained Jesus through the whole thing. His love for the Father, his love for his, the people, this is the staying power. And Jesus says in John 14, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Why? Because you're trying to get to heaven? No, it's not about that. Because you love. There's a lady that's talked about in the Bible. Jesus is eating a meal, and she breaks into a house, and takes and opens an expensive jar of perfume, and she pours it on Jesus' feet. Can you imagine how weird and awkward that would look? Everyone's eating, and this lady, who was not invited to the party, by the way, comes in the house, and she opens it up. Why did she do that? I kind of think her and Jesus had a previous conversation. Because this same story where Jesus said he was going away and he's telling his disciples, he was already starting to say this, that he was going to die for the sins of mankind. My hunch is Jesus and her had a conversation and he told her, hey, by the way, I'm going away. I'm going to be killed. So she breaks into this meeting and she takes her, this expensive jar, which was about a year's worth of wages, and she breaks it over Jesus' feet. She pours out this oil, and people are like, well, that's a waste. And she's like, they're like, Jesus says, you don't even know what she's doing. She's preparing me for burial. I kind of have a hunch that she was like, this might be the last chance that I get to say thank you to him. And he's going to die. He's going to be killed for all of us. So what, what could I do? Maybe the last thing, he's, she's like, maybe at the very minimum, she could, he could be smelling the perfume, this fragrance that I pour on him to know, I love you. I'm so thankful for what you're do, you've done for me. That as he's going to the cross, he would smell this costly ointment. It says in the Bible that the one that's been forgiven a bunch loves a bunch. And when you love, you don't care about how much it costs. You don't care. It could cost everything you have. The point is, they're worth it. This was Jesus' cry over us. I love so much, they're worth it. It's worth me going to the cross. It's worth me dying. John 14, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. When your heart is touched by the love of God, when you experience the forgiveness of God, the most common reaction, let, let me hear this, is that your heart starts to bubble up with love. Why? Because you recognize what he did for you. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Not if you're afraid of going hell, to hell, you'll obey my commandments. No, because you're grateful. Because you understand what he's done. You go, wow, 
Thanks. And if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And then Jesus promises he'll send the Holy Spirit. When you understand what he's done for you, you can't help but worship him. You can't hold grudges anymore. You start caring for those that don't care about you worth a hill of beans. And you start ridding your life of everything that could hinder your relationship with him. Why? Because you love. You don't claim perfection, but you just claim this. He loved me. I want to love him well. Now, this whole tagline, love is love, like I was saying before, it's like saying blue is blue. It doesn't say what it is. And I would say this, God is love, and this is a really important distinction, but love isn't God. God is justice, but justice isn't God. God is merciful, but mercy isn't God. God's gentle, but gentleness isn't God. Now, why do you think I'm, why, why would I even bother to say all this? Because the love of God is one attribute of who he is. And just because I'm attracted to something or someone, just because I have care in my heart towards something or someone, does not mean God endorses that. The reality is, love is an attribute of who he is. And if we love him, our love will be continually purified and brought in alignment with the love of God because God's love isn't transactional. It's not about what I get. The world's love is all about, I love you, you love me, this works for me, this works for you. And as soon as this relationship isn't a transactional relationship, we're not as excited about it. That's called an agreement. But God does covenant, and in the place of covenant, God's like, I'm all in. Regardless of what you do, I'm all in. Are you all in? If you love me, it won't be transactional. It'll be the simple fact as God, I'm all in, whether this is for my benefit or not. I love you. God, here's my life, my heart, my car, my whatever. It's all yours. And I, I was just writing this this morning, and I was thinking, I was, I was really realizing that following Jesus is a really costly thing. There's this story of the rich young man. This guy comes to Jesus. He's very moral. He does all the right things. He comes up to Jesus and he says, Teacher, Rabbi, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, obey the commandments. And the guy says, yeah, but there's something missing. And Jesus is like, that's right, because it's way more than just skin deep. It's not about doing stuff. Jesus looks at him and says this. Okay, sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and then come follow me. The young man went away sad. Why? Because what had the affection of his heart? His stuff. Jesus wasn't after his cash. Jesus was after his heart. I have found in my life that's the spot that God will have a conversation with me about. What has my affection? What has my attention? This is where he's going to talk to me. If your love is for popularity, he's going to be like, hey, why don't you go into obscurity a while? Follow me. 
If your love is cash, she's going to say, why don't you give up pursuing that? Follow me. Now, the reality is you'll find that you get a lot more out of following Jesus than pursuing cash, riches, whatever, relationships. But Jesus simply says, if you want to follow me, first comes the laying it down. And this is not transactional. This is love. It's not like he says, if you lay this down, I'll give you a million bucks. He's saying, no, would you do this for love? Now, the truth is, maybe you're like, you know, I don't really know the guy that well. I don't know if I want to. He also is that good that he would say, let me show you who I am. And if we invite his, him into our life, he'll say, I'll show you what's worthwhile. And you won't be sad laying it down. John 14, 15 through 17, I was reading it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I'll ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and he'll be in you. That word helper means this. Comforter. Advocate. That means lawyer. Intercessor. That means he's always praying for you all the time. Strengthener. When you're weak, he's strong. Another one, this is kind of a different word, is standby. It's like your pit crew, ready to roll. You're driving the race, you pull into the pit stop, Holy Spirit's like, we're going to change out the tires, we're going to gas you up, we're going to get you going. He's going to resource you. This is the spirit of truth. And he promises to those that love him, get this, to those that love him, help, comfort, someone that will, he'll advocate for you, he'll intercede for you, he'll strengthen you, and he'll resource you. But the question Jesus comes to you and I with is, do you love? I really like how it's said in that first part of that verse that not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Man, isn't that true? I don't know about you, but my, my love is lame. It's small. I'm very self-focused. I care about the things that affect me. And God is on a mission. The Holy Spirit is on a mission to take Jeremy's heart and your heart, all of our hearts, and help us move from this place of self-focused, self-interest that honestly is not in our interest. Selfishness ends in isolation and lack. But the place of turning our hearts upward and outward is the place of fulfillment and the place that God is calling you and I to be. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Honestly, to surrender what you have, your ambition, your time, your energy, it's going to be super costly. It's not going to be comfortable. It might be hard. Actually, it's going to be hard. But it's worth it. Jesus said in, in John 16, 8 through 10, the Holy Spirit's not just coming 
for you and me to have a little kumbaya and great, awesome experiences. Um, he's not just coming to work in your heart and work in your life, but he's actually also coming to work through your life. Now, you might be in this room and you're thinking, like, I feel like a, a big struggle for a lot of us in, the, in spaces is finding our purpose, what we're made for, walking in the, like, the space of like, man, I, I know what I'm made for, I know what I'm doing. I believe these verses encapsulate what God wants to do through your life. John 16, 8 through 11 says this. And when he comes, that's the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Next slide. Concerning sin, because they don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will, not, you will see me no longer. Next slide. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now you'd be like, okay, what the heck was that all about? Sin, righteousness, or justice, and judgment. How can the world know that God has a better way? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to do be a work in your life and my life. And the Holy Spirit comes that he would flow through you. Hello. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the Holy Spirit wanting to do a work through us. He will convict. You know what that word convict means? It doesn't mean condemn, by the way. It means convince and bring a demonstration. He will bring an inner and an outer knowing of sin, righteousness, or justice, and judgment. Sin? Why? Because honestly, everybody believes that they're living a good life. Everybody feels like they're living how they're called to live. Now, they might make some mistakes, but we would say, oh, I'm a good person. I do this well. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I got a way better way than your process and your plan of how you're living. And guess what, church? You're going to be an example of that. Now, we're all a piece of work. God's working in and through us. But you are called, I am called in how I handle my money and how I treat my family, in how I talk, walk, do business, stewardship, habits, my values in sex, my values for the poor, all that I do, all that I am, all of my habits... The Spirit of God wants to flow through all of that. We need more examples of marriages that aren't just struggling, but they're thriving. We need more examples of good business practice where people are like, wow, that guy's got integrity. You can trust his word. We, we need more examples of politicians who will be men and women of integrity. We need more examples of of teachers who will love kids well. and You know what I'm saying? This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is what it means to partner with the Holy Spirit. He'll bring a conviction that this is right. And apart from the Holy Spirit, people don't have any idea. The only thing they really have is self-interest. But God is like, my interest is way better than your self-interest. And I want to convict the world through your life. Not condemn the world, but convict the world. Everybody look at me. 
There's people that are watching your life. And they need a word from God. Could it be that your life, could it be that your life is what they need to see that word from God through? Convict the world of sin. Convict the world of justice or righteousness. You know, we're not supposed to be silent. I love, uh, there's a story, this is, this is back when Bill Clinton was, was uh, president. And they invited Mother Teresa to the, to the Oval Office, and they gave her the Congressional Medal of Honor for all her work that she's doing with orphans in India and all this stuff. And they took, um, they had a podium set up, and they had a box, because this woman, you don't know it, but she was like, she's like four foot five, four foot six. She's just tiny little, tiny little lady. And she walks over, and everyone's clapping and applauding Mother Teresa for what she does. She gets up. She gets up behind the podium, and she says, your country murders babies all year. Millions of people have died. If you don't want those children, send them to me. A hush kind of falls over the crowd. <laughs> See, she brought a conviction, not a condemnation, but a conviction that says those children deserve to live. You don't want them, send them to me. I'll take care of them. The world is looking for men and women of God that would stand up and say, this is not okay. This is what needs to happen. Another interesting example is Paul, he was out preaching. They put him in prison without a trial, without a, without a due process or anything. He gets beaten and a bunch of stuff. The next morning, the magistrates come to the jail and they say, hey, could you leave town? Very quietly. They knew they didn't do it right. And Paul said this, no, you can have to come and get me. I want a public apology. Why? Because it wasn't right how they treated him. It wasn't right that they were trying to make him leave town. He's like, I am a Roman citizen. I have rights. You did it wrong. And so he stood up for what was right because he knew he, was, he had to stand. The, God will send us as through, and use us, the Holy Spirit will use us to be, bring conviction of justice. One of my other favorite stories, my brother-in-law, uh, Jeremy, lives in California. He found out, he was helping out a youth group, and he found out that there was a kid in the youth group whose father was abusing him. So he went to the house, called the cops, and they dealt with the problem. He had a conviction in his heart. This is not okay. Church, we are called to be those that stand up and say, this is not okay. Not on my watch. Do we have a conviction in our heart for what is right? Would we stand? And lastly, convict the world of judgment. Now, the judgment that he's talking about is that Satan is judged. What he's basically saying is God wins, Satan loses. Now, the powers of this age would love for us to believe that, that, that they're going to win, Satan's going to have his way, um, evil's going to prevail, um, Christianity is a relic of the past, all these different things, but we know the end of the story. And all throughout history, 
powers and strength, a government's authorities have risen up against the church. And every time the church has stood for righteousness and justice, and, and they say there's this line that says the, the blood of the martyrs. What does it say? The blood of the martyrs is the, is the fuel for the church? How does it say? It's the water of the church. Men and women of God throughout the ages have stood for righteousness and been killed for it. And when, what ends up happening? Justice prevails. Stephen, one of the first early Christians, he stood for righteousness, he stood for Christ, and the religious leaders of their day screamed at him, put, put their hands over their ears because they didn't want to hear what he was going to say, rushed at him, stoned him to death. Months later, many of them accepted Christ. God is calling us to be a people that would stand in the midst of persecution and say, we stand for what is right, and we know that God will win. And all of these things, because of love. We have a role to play in partnering with the Holy Spirit. To stand up and say uh, that there will be a conviction of sin, justice, and judgment. God wins. You know, the police, if they do something wrong, they do an internal investigation and cops invest cops, investigate cops. And we get frustrated with lack of justice and different things. We have two political parties, and those two political parties are supposed to hold each other accountable, but we all know that they're made up of a bunch of millionaires who benefit from being in power. We have a media who makes it its mission to hold politicians accountable. That's part of what media is called to do. And yet it's clear that they can't, that, that it's in their benefit not necessarily always to expose truth, but to have increased ratings. Folks, the world systems, the checks and the balances, the constitution, all these things, there's some great things in there, but they still got people in them with self-interest and darkness in their heart. What the world needs is a church that would rise up and would say, Holy Spirit, we want to stand for what is right, for justice, and that God wins. Are we perfect? Far from it. But the question is, are you surrendered this morning? Are you willing to be that imperfect voice that would stand for that single mom across in your cul-de-sac? To run for the PTA and, and be willing to be a voice counted? To bless our officers and say thank you for serving for blessing our mayor, even if you disagree with his policies and saying, God, may God help you as, you as you lead. Hey, maybe to even run for city council. This is kind of a different message this morning, but the point is simply this. Inaction is not what we're made for, people. We, we are made to be a wor- those that the Holy Spirit can use to partner through us. We're called that through our surrender that we would be active in what God's called us to do. John 14, 30 and 31. Jesus ends the time and he says this, I'm not going to talk with you much more, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let's go from here. 
And with that, dinner was over. I think they sang a hymn or something. And then they went to this place called the Garden of Gethsemane. That's what we're going to be talking about next week. But Jesus was preparing his disciples to say this, look, you're not going to physically see you at me anymore, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit and I'm giving you a mission. And my spirit is going to flow through you if you let it. And I, we were praying this morning before the service and the theme that kind of came up over and over again was this thing about fear. There is so much fear, fear of people, fear of lack of approval, and God wants to break that off of our hearts and our lives. When Jesus started his ministry, you know what he did? He went to a, temp, a temple, a, tabern, uh, uh, a synagogue, grabbed a scroll, walked up to the front, and he read this portion from Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He set me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is God's plan for you and me. You got a plan for your life? God's got one. His plan is this. Would you love me? Would you follow me? Would you let my Holy Spirit lead you into a place of conviction? That your life, your family, your plans, your business, your actions, all that you are, there would be a conviction that there's something better? Would you be one that allow my causes for justice to run through your veins that you would say, not on my watch, not this way. God has a better way. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's going to bring people free. And lastly, that there would be a conviction in us. God wins. Evil doesn't win. God wins. And the world needs to know, the world needs to see confident people that would go, wow, they have peace. And we can turn and say, yeah, God wins. 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. For this reason, I remind you, Paul's talking to his young protege, to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give you a spirit of fear. God does not traffic in fear but of power, in other words, you can do something, of love, you care more than just your self-interest, and self-control, all the trappings of addiction and stuff, yeah, it doesn't bind you anymore. Stir it up. If we could all just stand on up. And uh, John Krause, if you, could, if you could come up, actually. I believe God wants, and Nick, if you could pop up here too, that'd be awesome. I, I just believe God wants to kick fear to the curb today. I really believe that. If you have in your life, you've, you've had spaces of struggling with fear. Can you just lift your hand? Isn't that great that I'm asking you to do something fearful? That's the point. How many of you would love to see fear kick to the road and that you would have a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind? If that's what you want this morning, can you just lift your hand? 
Okay. So there's no superstition to this. It's just really an open heart. God wants to give his spirit. So first of all, it comes with this precondition. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. In other words, he's the leader. Guess what? It's going to cost you everything. Welcome. Welcome to the club. It's not going to be easy. Sometimes you're going to feel like, what am I doing? How am I going to do this? And then you get these whispers in your heart. If you know anything, if you've walked with Jesus any mind, you know these whispers. You're not alone. I haven't left you. Oh God, I feel really weak and tired and confused. You're not alone. I didn't give you fear. I didn't give you doubt. I gave you power, love, and a sound mind. God, it doesn't feel like it. Trust me. Walk with me. I've got you. But can we just do this? Just stick your hands out like this. And if you want to make Jesus the leader of your life today, it's going to cost you everything. Just say this with me. Jesus, I give you everything. Here's a fun one. All my money. All my relationships. All my time. All that I have. All my dreams. You be the leader. I'll follow you. I believe you died for me and you rose again. You cleanse me of all my sin. You break every chain and you set me free. Let's just say this, Holy Spirit, we invite you. Lead us, fill us. In Jesus' name.